0: Songs are really interesting, aren't they? And uh, I think we notice this in in our cultural environment. One of the things I find really fascinating is the way that we sing after the storm. That's very often what we do, don't we? We sing songs after a particular event. It was 1978, so some of you uh, probably didn't even know that that year existed. Uh, And some of us remember it reasonably well. Uh, 1978, when this song was released, most of you will know the song when you hear it playing. Some of you will just know it straight away when I read the first line. At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. Some of you got it. Others are looking like... Kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But, and it blasts Gloria Gainers, I will survive into this disco anthem. Which I, I would say, it's amazing, it's, it's kind of powerful. But thinking about that song, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody here and I'll guarantee that you will probably know somebody where that song has really been important in their thinking, where they've reflected in the experience of the songwriter who looks at back on reflecting on a, a really torrid relational breakup, which has been incredibly painful. But. We use songs in such a way to place ourselves in the narration of the story, and as we sing the song, we kind of sing alongside, and we enter into the emotion. And what this particular Gloria Gaynor anthem does, is it it builds up that sense of, one, I will survive, but that declaring I will survive, and building up, helps to strengthen and build maybe when we've been through that similar experience. I will survive. Looking back and reflecting on really difficult times and then triumphantly singing is a feature of human existence, which is fascinating, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? Think about those kind of awful experiences. Very often we we want to shut them out and imagine that they never happened. And yet what we really do is we use them time and time again and we build on them in an anthemic way to say, I've, I've survived that experience. I can survive another experience. I can get through this one. I'm declaring the strength of my inner being. Part of our human experience. Part of what we are. And that one song is not in any way alone, is it? That idea, that concept is repeated again and again and again. We triumph and we sing about it. And so we come to this particular song, Psalm 30, which on first pass, it looks like a similar kind of idea. We have David singing and declaring uh, as as he looks back on life. But I want us, as we work through this, and it's going to be really relatively, hopefully really relatively straightforward, simple journey through this psalm this afternoon, I want us to just pause and think about our normal pattern of experience, the way we relate to singing to build us up and to protect our inner resolve and to survive, if you like, and just question, is the Bible calling us to do that or is it taking us into a new place? Well, that isn't, I'll change that from a question, is it? And I'll make a declaration. The Bible is taking us into a new place. It is taking us into a new experience of reflection. It is taking us into a new way of thinking. Now, now, just for a moment, stick with the glory again a song or whichever one has been important to you. And what you, what you might realize is that when you really dig into the words, you, you kind of you go over them in your mind. You might even memorize them and you, you can sing them, straight off the bat or you pick up the record sleeve. It's a record sleeve. What, what What is a record sleeve? A long time ago, children, there were big black circular things. And on the inside, you used to open it up and it, it had the lyrics. And I reckon that people have probably picked up those lyrics. Now you Google the lyrics and go to Metro Lyrics or whatever it is and just read them. But you dig down into the words and you reflect on the words. So let's reflect on these words and see something different. The first thing that we see is a personal reflection. Look at what it says, verse 1 to 3. I will extol you, Lord. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let enemies gloat over me. Lord my God, I called to you for you and you healed me. You, Lord brought me up from the realm of the dead, you spared me from going down to the pit. There's David's reflection, that's what he sings, that's what he pens for us to sing, that's what he writes down for us to use as a foundation, for us to write new songs within a similar vein. He's looking back and he's reflecting on life and he's saying, it really was that intense. When we read the pattern of David's life, when we read his life experiences, here's this young lad who was a shepherd boy who had a heart of courage but was moved by God as well. Uh, and this young guy was plucked out of a kind of a farming environment out in the, in the wilderness and he finds himself dragged out, dragged out, maybe not dragged out, but suddenly taken out and anointed to be a future king. And that's where the trouble starts. He really does. For his life from there, until it, it reaches a, a much later point in his life, it is a continuous stream of oppression difficulty, near death experiences, fear, loneliness, danger. I reckon that David time and again in his experience, because of his humanity, must have had those moments where he might have thought, do you know what, I just wish I was back watching sheep. Really? Really? maybe you've been through that experience, you're you're now maybe in work, maybe you've got some kind of job now and that the pressure's on, you're doing something now and the pressure's really there and you just wish that I was, do you know what, do you know I started this in this company and all I did was drove a forklift truck, I wish I was back doing that, I wish life was not the way it is now And here's David who's reflecting back on life and he's declaring with with an anthem and saying, I look back and I praise you, Lord, when I look back at those moments. His life, you see, I mentioned it last week and it's really, it's a key kind of idea when we talk about Words in this particular psalm, like enemies gloating over him and battles and fears, it's really easy for us to wonder how do I translate the kind of battles of the ancient world and the Old Testament into my life today? The key is this David's day to day life and his experience in the kind of kingdom environment is a reflection and a direct connection to his spiritual well-being. So if the kingdom is well, if the kingdom is progressing, his spiritual life is in a good place in one sense, that that's the kind of connection. And so those enemies that are threatening him physically, he sees very, very clearly that the threats physically are just as much a threat spiritually. My spiritual well-being is at stake. He's going through this life and he knows that God's people, the kingdom of God, of God's people, the development of God's people, the future of God's people is absolutely his spiritual well-being. He's looking at what's going on in the kingdom and it's, it's a mess. It's not working in the way that is faithful to the God of these people. And he's saying it's got to be right. But there are enemies that are attacking. Even the king that Saul who's currently Playing the role of king is not behaving in a way which is faithful to the God who we worship. I'm now surrounded by my enemies who are oppressing me. Everything spiritually is upside down because the kingdom is upside down. And so there is a spiritual connection there. Physical things, events in life are a danger to him. One of the interesting things that I think when I come to to, to kind of work through that, how how do we translate that? I think one of the things that we can think about is, let's just think about the way warfare has changed. Warfare has changed beyond belief. Back in the days of David, it was spears and bow and arrow and, and all of that kind of stuff, physical... You know, close combat, people lined up against each other, all of that kind of stuff. But even in the lifetime of some of us here, warfare has changed beyond belief. 1945 was the end of the First World War. There were a few wars after that which which reflected in, sorry, Second World War. There were a few wars after that which reflected something of that kind of warfare, large military movements. But we don't live in a world like that anymore, anymore, do we? Warfare is the same, but it's now very subtle. There is a kind of broken-down, fragmented idea to warfare. And I think that spiritual warfare has changed in the same way. It's subtle, but the dangers are nonetheless. We, We miss them easily. The things that take us offside, Take us out of the game. Take us off the pathway. Things that consume our thinking, which we're absolutely terrified of or we're absolutely consumed by. Things that detract us and disturb us. You know that, I hope you know, that I am a huge technology enthusiast. I really am, I love technology and it is also a terrifying thing. I love the world that we live in in so many ways and yet the world that we live in is changing to to drag our thoughts, to drag our minds, to drag our affections to drag our time, to drag our resources in the wrong direction and to persuade us that all of these things are either more important or more fearful than our faith can ever cope with. That is spiritual warfare. That is spiritual warfare. It's changed, hasn't it? But in a sense... I think many of us can, can kind of look back and, and we can say, do you know what, there has been times in my life where something has either grabbed me and I've enthused over it or something has consumed me where I've been so terrified over it that my consumption by that one or the other of those events has been so huge that I was really, really in spiritual danger. What is that? That is an enemy to my faith. That is an enemy to my spiritual journey. That is an enemy to my my ability to maintain a pathway and continue the walk of faith. And I get to a point now and I look back and I can look back over life and I can say, I can see moments back there And I can reflect absolutely what David says. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. I really was in danger. The enemy was real. There were fearful things. But you held on to me. That is a huge reflection, isn't it? And that's something which I want to encourage you, that singing songs like this, in the way that we were reflecting in our cultural kind of way that we sing, singing songs like this encourages us to pinpoint those moments where that has been our experience. And to remind ourselves to look back and say, I was in danger from that enemy, but you held me. You kept me. You maintained me. The amazing thing is that for many of us, we might not have been even walking a walk of faith at the point where that enemy was there. But we've ended up in this room this afternoon and we're claiming a faith which we unexpectedly are now claiming And it's because back there, that enemy that could have consumed us, where we weren't even walking that walk of faith, was dealt with by our God. And it could have taken me. Isn't that an amazing thought? Or maybe, this afternoon you're here, and you're actually wondering, I don't know what I'm even doing here. (laughs) Why am I here? Maybe it's because God is using Whatever circle of events or relationships that has brought you here to a point where you might be able to assess and look back on life and you might be able to see that there are certain things that have brought me here. And there is a moment in my experience now to look at that and say, what am I going to do with it? Because we are here and we are listening to the fact that the God over all of the world is interested in our individual lives in this way. That amazing personal reflection. Where does that personal reflection go? Look at verse 4-5. to Sing the praises of the Lord, you His faithful people. Praise His holy name, for His anger lasts only a moment, but His favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What David personally reflects in his song... He then says, come and join with me. I'll sing the verse, now you join in the chorus, let's all sing together. David uses his experience as a springboard for all of us to join in the experience and to praise God. What does that, what does that do? Number one, it, it, it reminds us as God's people to realize and to understand the joy and the, the value in seeing each of us keeping on going. Have you ever thought about that? It is something to sing about that we keep going. Today, we are, we are way, way too individualistic as believers. We think in our individualistic terms. But what this is saying is together we sing. We sing about the fact that you have been protected and kept and sustained in the most surprising ways. Let's sing about that. The corporate reflection. This idea that we get and we sing together. Jesus said that that's how we should rejoice. There was a little story that he told. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Over one sinner who repents. Sounds great, that doesn't it? The only problem is we're not very good with each other's sin. We're not good with each other's sin. So that when somebody repents and steps back in, we're very often not good with coping with the fact that they're back in, that they're recovered and they're restored. Because actually the pain of what happened back there weighs in on our thoughts and on our minds and on our memories. And the confrontation in that little section of the Bible there is that we might feel that, but heaven's singing. Heaven's rejoicing. And so we're the ones who've got to get our house in order and and rejoice and praise. Jesus told another story about two sons one went and frittered away the father's, ex- father's inheritance in, in kind of mass, hedonistic lifestyle. And his brother towed the line. Did everything he was supposed to do. Clocked on, clocked off, never missed a moment, delivered. Everything I'm supposed to do, I'm doing. And then the son comes back. And the father, who is an old man, and in in the ancient Near East, there is an incredible dignity to old men. The The kind of thing that we've lost, the kind of respect for an old man, the kind that sits in the corner of a family gathering with his walking stick and everybody looks up to him. And this old man... Pulls up his cloak and runs to the son who's walking back. To the waster. To the reveler who stinks of pigs, who's filthy. And the old man throws himself on him and he kisses him. And the other brother is incensed. See, that's the point. That's the issue, that when we come back, or when one of us comes back, we are really not good at dealing with the one who has been the cause of all sorts of trouble coming back. And yet, this psalm and Jesus' parables encourages us to be just big-hearted in our rejoicing, praising, wonderful. Do you know what? that's water under the bridge, there's a line in the sand, you're back, I'm rejoicing with you. Why? Why can we do that? Why should we do that? Because what David is saying is the fact that their back is not their strength, it's God working. That's why we rejoice, because God is working. You see, all of this kind of experience of life, reflecting back on our personal reflection, our corporate reflection, we look back and we say, do you know what? It's the bad times when we realize, where we learn, where we understand. And so to remind us of that, we move into a cautionary reflection. But what David says in verse 6 and 7, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made, me, made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. I need to, we need to unpack this and just understand what David is saying. He's basically saying this. When the good times are rolling... There is every possibility that we turn around and we say, I can do it. I can stand. I ain't going to fall. Do you know what? I'm never going to be one of those brothers who goes and squanders the father's inheritance. I'll stand. I'll never fall. And then David looks at that and he says, let's think about what that looks like in real life. And he says, when my royal household is thriving, when it's doing well, when it's stabilized, which is where he now is in life, he's got to the point where all of that stress and warfare and battles and all of that, it's, started, it's settled now, the royal household is in place And he looks at that and he says, I've got to keep in mind that when that is the case, when things are balanced and settled, it's because you have done that work. Not because I'm secure and I've achieved it. Because if you turn your face from me, I will be dismayed. How do you think? How do we think? How do I think? About successes in life. Man, it is just so easy. It is just so easy to say, Look what I've done. (laughs) Look what I've done. And so David is just singing out this cautionary tale to remind us to say, You achieve. You're successful. You've got to the top of your game. You've done the best. Whatever field of work you are in, whatever activity you're about, maybe it's, a, maybe it's not even work. Maybe it's some sort of, I, I don't know, musical greatness or, or physical activity or whatever it is. You've done a fantastic job and it is a cautionary reminder to say, don't ever, ever fall into the trap of saying, I've done that and this will never fall apart because I'm the strong one. The cautionary tale, sing it to yourself that the Lord has done it. That's the safe place to be. It's the safe place to be. I, 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 only, I am only here because of what God has done. I am totally dependent on His mercy, His kindness. In fact, those, those kind of skills that I think I've developed over the years... They're only the skills that he put there in the first place. And the people that he put in my way that I do, you know what, I did some fantastic networking. Went to the great networking events. I got myself in front of the right people. I learned from the right people. God opened every one of those doors. Every one of those doors. Every conversation that brought you to where you are is, is God's hand of mercy upon you. That's what this, these two verses are saying. Keep your heart humble before God. Because because a humble heart before God is a place to rejoice. It's not a place to be proud. So we've got a personal reflection. We've got a corporate reflection. We've got a cautionary reflection. And now we've got, I think, and it could actually apply to the whole of the psalm, but I'm going to use it just at the end. We've got a prophetic moment. Where's that come from? How can we be sure of all of this? Verse 8 to 12, To you, Lord. I called to the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Then there's a turn. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. See, that's two halves. First half of this end end verse, really. This this stanza, it's all about a reflection on going down into death. Will I praise you in death? And you turn death into life. But the death experience is real. And I think that this psalm, like so many of the psalms, has practical information and support and encouragement the way we've seen. But it's also got this massive pointer. That is pointing forward and saying these kind of words... Because we stand now, 2,000 years after Jesus, these words should spark our minds into something. You know, Jesus prayed for a long time in Gethsemane. And there's only a few words relatively spoken that are captured by that. But when He went... He turned to His disciples, and He said to His disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I think He could have reflected on Psalm 30, verse 8, To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced? what is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? And the answer is what? Yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. In human terms, the answer is no for all of us with the exception of Jesus. And yet, that very death is precisely what praises God brings glory to God, which honors His name and which turns that mourning to rejoicing and laughter. This verse 8 to verse 12 just looks like the story of the final days of day of Jesus' life and His resurrection three days later. I enter into that deep experience of the reality of death and then you turn it to praise and joy and rejoicing, that will never stop, never stop. So all this stuff that we've talked about, why isn't it just a kind of Christian reflection on Gloria Gainer's inner strength? Because all of this is about our strength in God, not in ourselves. And ultimately, that all of our strength is in the risen Jesus whose death is turned to life, whose sorrow is turned to rejoicing, whose mourning is turned to joy. Because ultimately, our only strength, our only hope, our only confidence, to be able to sing this with any kind of confidence is this, the power of the cross.